Welcome to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato with my trusted colleague. What do I feel like, Batman and Robin? But my trusted colleague, not Robin, but Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? Yeah, I think I'm Batman, but we can argue about that later. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. By the way, before we talk to the great Frank Morano of AM970, tell folks a little bit uh, about uh, the Leadership Hour. They can check us out, Yeah, right? they can check us out all over the place. So first and foremost, Facebook and Twitter, great place to check us out. Steve Adubato, PhD on Facebook. And then on Twitter, it's Steve Adubato. They can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, iTunes, and Google Play. And as always, give us a good rating, especially because they're going to like what they're going to hear. So why not? Absolutely. By the way, we are now joined, since the Leadership Hour is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. on the great... AM 970 out of New York City. We are joined by one of that station's most prominent on-air personalities and behind-the-scene producers, the great Frank Morano, radio talk show host and producer at AM 970. Good to talk to you, my friend. Well, Mary, it is great to be on with you. Uh, and and uh, the other guy that co-hosts with you, your sidekick there, he's not Absolutely. so bad either. Yeah, he's not so bad. I like to give him a little bit of airtime. It just makes him feel good. Yeah, I like well, to in say. In all seriousness, though, you, this show is terrific. Not only has it been an incredible addition to the weekend lineup at our station, but I find myself listening every week, and I've actually learned a great deal about leadership. And even when I don't learn something about leadership, I've heard so many fascinating conversations with interesting people. So what you're doing is a real public service. It's a thrill to be on the same team as you guys. Well, we are honored to be uh, your colleague, Frank. By the way, let folks know. Frank is the executive producer of AM970's morning show with uh, Joe Piscopo, you and Al Gattulo, and Debbie Duhame, who does the traffic. By the way, Frank, your show on Sunday mornings starts at what time? 4 a.m. 4 a.m. to 8.30, live each and every Sunday. Frank, you get up at what time to do that show? Uh, around 1.30, 1.45, once in a blue moon, I'll hit the snooze until 2. Great. And, and by the way, the reason we wanted to have Frank on, other than the fact he's a great friend and colleague and we've done so many things together, is that Frank, as an on-air personality, as a host, as well as as a producer and uh, over at AM970, by the way, before we get into leadership, plug your Newsmax program every day, Liquid Lunch. Oh, well, thanks for asking, Steve. So it's on every day at uh, noon, every weekday at high noon. It's called Liquid Lunch. It's hosted by John Tobacco. It works on two ends in that there is alcohol on the set, and it also deals a great deal with the financial markets and liquid assets and things like that. So it works sort of on two levels. By I the way, it, you said drinking on the set, Mary, all of a sudden. I, I, got, I think it works up. on three levels, Frank. I said just to be able to have that at noon, I'm in. So well, Mary and I have tea here and coffee, but other than that, because we're taping a little bit in the morning. Go ahead, Frank. We have some good Italian food, too. So <laughs> we're talking about politics <laughs> and the stock market. You have a martini. You have a meatball. And we all have a lot of fun. I saw, by the way, I swear we're going to talk leadership. I saw a nice antipas came in, and Frank was like, look at this. Nice. With my martini. Hey, Frank, listen, let's talk serious leadership. So I'm curious, and we're not going to make this political. We're going to make it, uh, I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, usually, conservative. Usually that's what you say right before you make something very politically. But See, go ahead. You know him, Frank. Do you Frank. mean anyone who does that or just I? Uh, no, you're saying you, I do that? You, All right. You, yeah. All right. Well, I'm not going to get I'm political, ready. Frank Morano, who's going to argue with me. You ready? Here's my thing. I wrote in my wonderful book, Lessons in Leadership, about Donald Trump when he was a candidate. And I tried to stay away from politics. I just tried to talk about leadership style. Here's my question to you. You are one of the classiest, and this isn't a kiss up to you because you're a friend and colleague. It's just true. You're classy. You're really good with people. You're respectful to others. You're fun and engaging. 
and you don't call people names. Mm. What the Thank heck you. do no you like? I'm not more successful. Yeah, come on, Frank. Here's the thing. Donald Trump, take politics out for a second. Describe his leadership style and what you like about it, given the fact that I see you and Trump as very different that way. Well, I'll tell you what I like about it. I'll also be balanced enough to tell you what I don't like about it. The thing that I do like is the fact that he's able to inspire the people working for him and his supporters to pursue the vision that he's outlined. I've never seen a political leader in this country have this sort of loyalty among their supporters. I mean, it's been compared to cultish, which I think is a little bit of an exaggeration, but he's certainly able to inspire people and inspire action like no other politician I've seen, at least not since Barack Obama. I'll tell you what I don't like about it is when he criticizes the folks that he's appointed, Jeff Sessions, Jerome Powell, the other people in his cabinet, it makes it look as if he has poor judgment, and it also undermines the people that are running his own federal agency. So that's one of the aspects of his leadership that I wish he would change. Yeah, let's, let's stay on that, because I've got to tell you, we have nine or ten people on our team on a regular basis, and then we work with all kinds of others. If I make the decision, and again, I'm not comparing myself to the president of the United States, who has an impossible job. If I hire Mary Gamba, I hire every team member. And I say, wow, they're great, they're amazing, they're terrific, and that's what Trump does. I put you, put you in that position. They're the best, they're amazing. And all of a sudden, that person leaves. They're horrible, they were an idiot, they were stupid, and- well, But it's even worse. He does it while they're still working for him. Okay, so Mary, Mary, jump in. Yeah. And I know you have your feelings politically about Trump, sure. which are not the same as mine. Mm -hmm. But that's not you, that's not me, that's not Frank. As a leadership technique, you say- it's a horrible technique to criticize, to put trash. down trash. What you do behind closed doors, that's another story. Totally. If you want to be a great leader, and Steve, you do this all the time. We had a call just yesterday, and one of our colleagues had said something in the call publicly, and Steve didn't say oh, anything right. during the call. Then immediately following, he said something to this, I didn't like. Yeah. And afterwards, just please, you know, the next time be aware and don't say XYZ. That's good leadership. Poor leadership is putting it out on display for everybody to see. And in the way that Trump does it, he's making a statement. And that statement is demeaning. By the way, this, you're listening. That was Mary Gamba. You're listening to Frank Morano of AM 970 and now Newsmax. This is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. You're hopefully listening to us on AM 970 or our podcast. Frank, pick it up from there, buddy. Steve, Mary, thank you so much. I look forward to being on again soon. I look no, forward to no you're not going no, anywhere. No, Frank, 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 where, where are you going, Frank? Well, I, you know, we're actually about to go live on Newsmax at noon. Oh, are you really? Oh. We are, yes. Oh, Frank's going live on Newsmax. I see. So, Frank, we will pick up the conversation with Frank at a later point. Frank, thanks for joining us. If you want to continue the conversation after one, we can tape the latter part of it as well. Let's do that. Hey, listen, this is okay, all live. Great. We'll pick it up with Frank after that. Buddy, and have a good broadcast. Great. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Frank. Talk later. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato. You could tell that we tape live, Mary. But I Frank love it. I love it because it feels live to the listeners who are driving on the road right now on a Sunday afternoon. Hopefully Same what happened beautiful. to Frank Morano. We're going to have him back. We and, actually, okay. and, and people say that, and they yeah, don't mean we really it. Won't. We actually mean it. We'll have Frank back. Yeah. By the way, Frank was going to his uh, daily broadcast, Liquid Lunch on Newsmax. 
but you can check him out every Sunday on AM 970 with his own show and also as the executive producer of Joe Piscopo's morning show on AM 970. Mary, let's pick up on this theme. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to this whole question. It's about, as a leader, having a degree of self-control in one of the chapters in my book, Lessons in Leadership, You Can't Lead Others Until You Learn to Lead Yourself. Mm -hmm. So Mary mentioned an incident, and a lot of what Mary and I do on the Leadership Hour is talk about real-life examples, scenarios, situations, circumstances, things that come up that say, hey, wait a minute, that's interesting. So we were on a call, me, you, and a colleague, with someone from the outside, let's say, outside organization. And I had asked our colleague a question in the call, and it was a coded way of me to get a certain response from that colleague. But the colleague said, basically, I don't know, Steve, you know more about this than I do, so basically, why are you asking me about this? And that wasn't the response I wanted, okay? It's not about that particular situation. Of course. There was a part of me that wanted to say, hey, what are you doing? So I bit my tongue, and this is not to give mm -hmm. myself credit, but afterwards, I had to make sure that there was a direct and specific conversation about what took place, what was wrong with it, and what needed to be done moving forward. Do you say? You did two great things in that call yesterday. The first is... By the way, this is not a show about what I do great, because no. there'll be eight things in this show I'll there tell you I did wrong. There are two yet. leadership lessons that everyone can take from that experience yesterday. The first is, by you not bringing it up in the call, it communicates to the other person. The other person didn't realize, didn't hear it, didn't pick up. I mean, there's someone outside our organization. Exactly. Whereas, if you were to call that person out for the... Our staff person. Yes, absolutely. During the call, it makes it seem like we are disorganized, that we don't have our stuff together and that we are not on the same page with what we're communicating. It may even seem like we're trying to cover up something or possibly maybe you were unsure, but that's okay for you to be unsure. So by waiting and pausing, number one, it sends a message externally that we are all on the same page. By then following up with that colleague, it <coughs> ensures that the same mistake won't be made again, that if a similar and it doesn't have you apply every lesson learned to a different situation, it doesn't have to be the same situation. It just needs to be, oh, definitely, Steve, that sounds great. And then that colleague can then disagree or agree after that call is done. But again, you don't do that in public in that regard. So by the way, that was Mary Gamba, my co-host and colleague on the Leadership Hour. And if you're wondering, and you're just checking into the Leadership Hour for the first time, Mary and I talk about, think about, debate, discuss a whole range of leadership, communication, management issues. And I'm going to stay on this for a second. The reason we actually started talking about this is when we talked with Frank Morano, our friend from AM970, he's a fan of Donald Trump's. Mm -hmm. He voted for Trump. He believes in Trump. But he agreed that criticizing and embarrassing and ridiculing in public members of your team, and that's not our 10-person production company. That's in the president's cabinet and in the White House. Mm -hmm. I just would hope that people would acknowledge, because the whole idea of the Leadership Hour is to talk about better practices, best practices, and not so great practices. I wonder to what extent for the president, not that we can get inside his head, it's simply just a lack of self-control. Like he doesn't filter himself, which, by the way, some people will say, I love that. Do you really? How about if you're on the other end? I'm not convinced that it's a lack of self-control. I think that implies that he cannot control what he's doing. I think he can. He just chooses not to. Because? Because, because he doesn't care. He is but the what's the strategy the, then? He truly believes that he's the leader of the free world, as he is. And that gives him the right to communicate when, how. I mean, obviously, look at the outward facing on social media, on Twitter. Everything is very instant communication. 
And he is one of those leaders. What you see is what you get. You either like it or you don't. Okay, stay And there's on something this. to be respected for that. You and I have agreed to disagree on that. Well, no, but... no. We, this is something you and I do not disagree on. Right, right, right. And by the way, for those who are listening to the Leadership Hour saying, you know, why is Steve being negative toward the president? No, That's really not what it is. It's trying to understand leadership styles. There's a series of quotes from him, and you can check it out. And I don't paraphrase, and I will not editorialize. Check it out. The president has said on a variety of occasions, I am smarter than the generals when it comes to war. I know more than teachers about education. I'm the smartest when it comes to finances. I'm the best when it comes... The problem from my perspective on that is, if you are smarter than everyone that you hire and put in key positions at their own position, that's an issue and a problem for you as a leader because A, that undercuts that person's sense of confidence in themselves because they don't believe that you believe that they are the best person for the job, that you could and should be doing every job. And B, it also questions why you even need a staff for a team. If you can do everything well, mm -hmm. better than anyone else, you yeah. say. And that's where, again, this isn't about politics, but it is about leadership. That's where a leader misses the mark. There's a fine line between... Whether it's Trump or anyone else. Exactly. There's a fine line between a CEO of an organization or the CEO of a country communicating that, yes, I believe in myself. I believe in the people I'm putting into those positions. But when you go that extra step and then you say that you're more intelligent, you know more, then as you said, why even bring in somebody to do that specific job, whatever that job may be? So that is where he misses the mark, for sure. So let's shift gears to this. You and I had a conversation the other day about a fascinating topic. And I'm confident there are people listening right now that are thinking about this and struggling with it. And this is for anyone in a leadership management position. You could be running a warehouse. You could be running a high-tech company. You could be running a financial institution or a branch or department or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. There are all kinds of leaders out there, whether the word or the term leader is in your title or not. And Brian Brodeur from East Main Media, I want to get you into this conversation as well. Brian makes everything happen with his team here at East Main Media, our production operation. So I have said that part of a job of a leader is to put people in positions to do things that sometimes they're uncomfortable doing. So someone, we were doing a podcast, mm -hmm. not this podcast, another podcast. And I wanted certain people on our team to jump in and be part of the podcast and be with us in the studio and help introduce the certain podcast that we were doing, the interviews. And what we got almost to a person was, that's not me, that's not my job, that's not what I was hired to do, I'm not a broadcaster. I said, I'm not looking for a broadcaster, I'm looking for someone to just engage with. And of course, Mary jumped in to do it, mm -hmm. right? It's I not, love talking. Is it in your job description? No, it's not, no. And some of our other team members did as well. Mm -hmm. And this is not a negative about our team members. It's just I'm curious about this. Someone says, that's not my job. I was hired to do this. And my argument is to be a successful organization, you have to be more fluid. Mm -hmm. You have to be more dynamic. You have to be more flexible. But I also understand that you have to put people in positions where they can succeed to do what they do well. Where the heck is the balance? Brian, go first and then Mary. Well, the word I would highlight would be discomfort you know, comfort versus discomfort. And you don't get growth without discomfort. If you're going to grow, it will be uncomfortable. How about someone says, I don't want to grow in that way? Well, let me dodge that a little bit. So, I mean, let's look at different kind of companies maybe. I mean, I run a small business and, you know, everyone has to pitch in and, you know, you have to step up sometimes into areas that maybe isn't in your quote job description. And that can be uncomfortable, but that 
can be expected by the ownership or to make things fly, right? In order to be competitive and be the best in your field. Yeah, to address all Which the challenges. Which is the job. Yeah, well, for survival. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, let's look at a, maybe a bigger organization and things might be more siloed so people get more comfortable and then that breeds another problem. So stay on this, Mary. Mm-hmm. I do respect someone saying, this is what I'm good at. This is the, to use the Jim Collins analogy in his book, Good to Great, uh, you have 50 seats on a bus. The leader is the bus driver. I've said this a million times. The leader is a really good bus driver who knows exactly where the bus is going, why the bus is going there, when the bus needs to get there. But the other tricky part is who's sitting in the right seats on the bus because they do certain things well. But... At times, you have to move people into different seats because on the Yankees right now, as a Yankee fan, most of the Yankee starting lineup is hurt. People have to move up, play different positions. No, that's not my position. I only play third base. I can't play second base. I say we don't have the luxury to be so rigid. You say? I agree with you completely. And in the example that you just shared with one of our team members. And not, by the way, we have great team members. We have great team members. And I want to say it wasn't even a question of it's not in my job description. And I think in any organization it's comparable. It was more of I'm not sure if I could do that. I've never done it before. So it was I want more you to try. Of, so I say try. Mm-hmm. And they yes. say. It was more of a fear of I've never done it before and it's not in my wheelhouse. It's just something that I'm not comfortable with because I've never done it. But if you don't take that risk sometimes, you may not know what you are capable of. And the same with the first baseman that you're trying to put on third base. You have an opportunity. Give it a shot. Absolute worst case scenario, you're going to fail. Worst, and what, and worst what's the case, worst thing that comes out of well, that? Well, you could get cut if you're talking about the Yankees. But you could then just go back to first base. And at least you gave it a shot. And you learned in the process. Mm-hmm. And see, my thing, look, I know that we all get comfortable doing what we do. And we want to do it the best we can. But I actually do believe that if we don't put ourselves in positions to be, as I like to say, comfortable being uncomfortable, as Brian said, we can't grow. And I'm obsessed with the idea that really good leaders see things in other people, sometimes that those people don't see in themselves. Now, you have been with me while we've been together. 19 years. And we've talked about this before. The first time I said to you, Mary, here's the microphone. Mm-hmm. You take over. You are a leader. You're not just a manager who gets things done. You're really good at that. You're a leader. Get out front. And I know your first reaction was Yeah, no way. It was no terrifying. Way. Yeah, my neck got red. My voice got shaky. And there were a lot of ums and ahs. And so that proved that you couldn't do it, right? It proved that I wasn't comfortable doing it. It didn't mean that I couldn't learn how to do it and get better at doing it, and here I am today. But that does come with age and experience, and some of the people that you're referring to are definitely younger millennials, if you will. And I am, you know, in almost 20 years, obviously a totally different person than I was back in 19—no, oh, it was 2000 right. when I first started. So, so yeah, so I, I do believe that there's something to be said in, in pushing your team outside of their comfort zone because they are capable of sometimes more than they even know that they're capable of. And Brian, to put a pin in this, if you will, what advice do we want to give, whether someone's a millennial or whatever the heck we're term we're using right now, And maybe this is career advice as much as it's about leadership. What recommendation, what advice would you have for someone who says, basically, their position is, that's not what I do. I'm uncomfortable, as Mary said. I'm afraid. So the answer is no. I'll pass. My advice 
our perspective on that is I think everybody lives on a scale of comfort with risk, and that's fear, right, Mary? Mm -hmm. So there are people who are absolutely, they will not take any risk, and they're petrified, and they're just not going to go down that road. Then there are the people all the way at the other end that will really embrace things and really fly with it. And I think we all live on that scale. I mean, certainly I, I relate to that and, and as running a business and dealing with team members. So that's the lens I would look at it through. And everyone's a little different. And if people want to be aware of that and grow by being uncomfortable and taking advice or prompting from leaders like yourself, Steve, you know, putting your producers in the seat, say, you can do this and let's do it and go and don't even think about it. Say the it. person says, I don't stay on this. This is interesting. Brian said, if the person wants to do that, well, the answer is, in my view, no, I don't want to do it. But how many things are things we do because that is what we need to do to grow, but even though we don't want to do it? I think that's the decision of every day that we have. Who steps up to that decision? That's a very important thing. Look, if we only did what we wanted to do, we would not have progress. If we only did what we wanted to do, we wouldn't grow and organizations wouldn't succeed. So it's interesting because I'm going to move this over to some CEOs that I've coached. I coach a fair number of CEOs in terms of how they communicate in public. And, and so stay on the whole question of comfort zone. So you're working with a CEO, you're coaching him or her. And they say, this is the way I want to do a presentation. And you say, well, listen, if you want honest advice, if you do it that way, it's going to be hard to engage your audience, keep your audience connected. But that's what I do. I read off this teleprompter or I read off this PowerPoint or I read and that's what I do. And that's what I'm comfortable. But you're telling that person the effect of that. And we're supposed to be strategic, meaning you have a game plan to achieve a certain outcome, you're going to lose your audience. And the leader says, yeah, well, that's what I do. But you tell them by doing that thing, they're going to lose their audience. So here's a more engaging way of doing it. I could never do that. Isn't that the same thing? It's exactly the same. And it goes back and to the By the, the way, keys. that person's making like $5 million. Sure, They're no sure. millennial just trying to hang on, right? Right. To an in an organization, first job. We're talking people season making gobs of money doing the same thing. Right, absolutely. And one thing that I do want to go back and just tell people where they can get a little bit more information about the tips and tools in this oh, regard. Oh, sorry about that. Well, I'm just going to do a little plug because at stand-deliver.com, which is our that website, again, that's stand dash deliver.com. We have articles up there. We have information on your book, Lessons in Leadership. And the reason I bring this up, it's a perfect opportunity for any leader in any organization, whether it's a five-person small organization or whether you're talking about a CEO of a major institution, the same rules apply. You need to know your audience. You need to know how to engage that audience, whether it's a small meeting, whether it's a huge annual meeting, whatever the case may be, you need to engage your audience. Stay with the word engage. Define mm -hmm. it. Engaging is, in everybody can define it, I'm sure, a little bit differently. I define it as you keep your audience's attention. They want to listen. They don't want to look down at their smartphone. They don't want to fade out and They're think about texting. They're not texting. They're not going through their mental to-do list. I am so guilty of that. I'm always like, all right, when I leave here, this is what I'm going to do next. And then after that, I'm going to do this. If you're an engaging presenter, I will not be thinking about anything else. I am in. I'm leaning forward. I'm anticipating what you're going to say next. If a leader is just reading, as you were just referring to, off of a PowerPoint, off of their notes, you're bored. You could have just given me that in an email. You didn't have to waste my time being there. So again, if you go to stand-deliver.com, you provide, Steve Adubato provides, 
a wealth of knowledge in terms of tips and tools on how to engage any audience, because that's really where we started. You know, it's interesting as we talk about uh, this whole question and and one of the things about the Leadership Hour is we're not scripted. Mm-hmm. We have topics we want to explore. This program started off with a conversation with Frank Morano, which we will pick up. And Frank was talking about the president's leadership style. And we were talking about, well, what's comfortable, what's not comfortable, and getting outside your comfort zone. And it brings me to this. I was interviewing on our one of our broadcasts, uh, one-on-one out of New York, out of the Tisch WNET studio in New York, the great Alan Alda. And people know Alan Alda from MASH. And he's done a whole range of other great movies, director and actor, amazing. So he was Hawkeye Pierce back in the day, before your time, Mary. I, hey, no, I watched MASH. Yeah, yeah that was were, actually, I was growing up. You were about but, three, but go ahead. So here's well, the deal. Well, then I, wa- I must have watched reruns, but yes, I am did. familiar with the So show. here's the deal. He is involved in the Alda Communication Center, check it out. And he is, together with Stony Brook University, trust me, there's a point here, he's created the Center for Relating. Now, the reason that's relevant is Alan Alda hosted a series on PBS called, I think, Scientific Frontiers. You can have your team check it out, Scientific Frontiers. And he became caught up in the idea that the scientists that he was interviewing talked in jargon, talked in acronyms, talked in the weeds in a way that no one understood. And he started thinking, wait a minute. I was fascinated by the topic of science until I talked to the scientist. Now I can't follow. Why is it relevant to the conversation about being comfortable or getting comfortable being uncomfortable? Because he started this center at Stony Brook, and his work is very much similar to ours, helping really smart people in technical fields communicate in ways that people outside their fields can understand and relate to. When we tell in our work, Mary, really smart people in finance, in law, in banking, in healthcare, a whole range of fields we coach people in. You need to adapt that style to someone who did not study next to you in advanced education wherever you went to school. What do we get back most of the time? Resistance. Is this not the same topic again? It is. It's the same topic. But these physicians and lawyers, they are very smart. They went to school. In they a certain a, way. In a certain way. But if you want that to really resonate with someone else, if you want someone to understand, you need to then frame the conversation, frame what you're saying based on the receiver's end, the person that's going to be receiving what you're saying. Because if not, then you might as well just be talking to a wall. Well, then why resist? Go back to the whole question of getting outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that really smart people in their field, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, medicine, Mm -hmm. law, that they're just really comfortable in their field and that's the way they're going to talk. Sure. Well, some of them, some of them don't know how to communicate in a layman's terms. Some of them don't have that same ability to make that human personal connection. Isn't that where coaching comes in? And that's where the coaching comes in. Or, you know what, I may need it, but this is who I am. This is who I am. Yeah. It is a challenge that we face in the work that we do. But we have found that, and you've said this a million times, it's not how they come in, it's how they leave. And Explain of course, to folks what that means. Well, a lot of the clients that come to us have those issues, challenges, and they don't know how to get out of their comfort zone. And it's our job. And it's no different than going to a personal trainer because you want to lose weight or firm up or it's work and it takes effort. I mean, trust me, if we could just all, you know, become a size six and, you know, wear those yoga pants like a boss, it'd be great. But you need to work at it. And sometimes whether it's just because they don't want to work at it or they're afraid they don't know how or even worse, some of them don't even think they need it. That's 
that's another scary. challenge. Why that is that the worst? That is the worst because it's hard to help somebody that doesn't admit that they need help. It's like you an said addiction. Admit. Mm -hmm. Some don't admit. Some think they don't need it. Exactly. And they're being really honest. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They but think they don't they're perfect. Know. They don't know what they don't know. Thank and you. And they don't know how they're being Brother perceived Mary by I, others. It's almost like we're just, I feel like we finished each other. Like you knew I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know. Explain to folks what that means. Well, a lot of times, if you don't know what you don't know, obviously, it could just be that you're naive, that you really believe that you know something, but you just didn't realize you didn't actually know it. So that is challenging. Yeah, it's so interesting. We ask people to do these self-assessments. What are your greatest strengths as a leader and communicator? What do you need to improve upon? But then we also ask the people around them, what are John's greatest strengths? What does John need to work on as a leader and communicator? And very rarely do they match up. No, very, very rarely. And I love when the areas they need to improve, like, I need to be less detail-oriented. They always tend to spin a positive into a negative that's not really a negative. Because it's not it really is, being self-reflective. It's hard to admit your weaknesses. But that's why we're there to help and, them. And by the way, coach. sorry for interrupting. We, we talk about weaknesses. I don't know if it's semantics. I'll tell people. I didn't ask what their weakness was. Sure, your areas for improvement. Do you think it's semantics when I do that, when I say, tell me where Brian, who's with us in the studio, tell me where Brian needs to improve. I didn't ask you where Brian is weak. I argue it's not semantics. I look at you and I mm -hmm. think, nah, Steve's playing games with words. Well, people get defensive if they hear weakness. And we always say, tell them what it is, not what it's not. So what are areas I can improve upon? So it helps the person not to get defensive immediately. And a weakness implies just that, that you're weak, that you're not able, that you're not good at something. Improve implies? Improve implies, hey, I'm okay at that but I can get better at it. So that is the difference. So it's not semantics. It's two totally different questions, but if we're real, it's a weakness. Yeah, by the way, this is the uh, Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba. Mary, before we uh, wrap up, give folks a sense of some of the other topics we're going to look at on future editions Absolutely. of the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba Leadership Hour. Absolutely. Go. Well, the fun thing is with Steve and I, and also, too, if you ever want to write in with ideas, we would love to have For ideas. Ideas that we should cover? Apps, topics? Why not? Why not? How they do they can, do that? They can email me, marykgamba at gmail.com, and they can go onto our website, stand-deliver.com. There's a link right there. That's a lot easier. You can link from there. So what are some of the topics we will be exploring? So, some of the topics, we're going to be talking hour. about trust and delegation and how hard it is for so many of us control freaks like myself to let go because nobody does it better than me. We're going to be talking about giving feedback, receiving feedback, how hard it is and really how that ties back to leadership. Being present in the moment, things of that nature. How about um, blame? Blame. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that before, but there is always we can go back to blame, accepting blame, accepting apologies. I think apologizing is something that we really haven't gotten into We're too gonna much. We're going to be talking about that. I had a little debate with our eight-year-old daughter, Olivia, mm -hmm. about something she blamed me for, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to forgive her because I was mad at her. Then I realized I was angry at an eight-year-old. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, but we'll, we'll pick up that on another show. Absolutely. So what the topics are endless, absolutely endless. Relationship building. We could even get into leading meetings. We can get into more powerful presentations. And there's just the opportunities are endless. So that is what the Leadership Hour is. And, and when Mary and I started this about a year or so ago mm -hmm. with our great friends at AM 970 and with Brian Brodeur and his team at East Main Media, I was like, oh, well, we're going to do the Leadership Hour. I wonder if we're going to run out of stuff. No, not even close. Not close. Um, so that's it for the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. That is Mary Gamba. 
Hey, Mary, what's that email again that people can give you ideas? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. It's Mary K Gamba, G-A-M-B-A, at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. I'd love to have it. And, and also, give the website again. I was just going to say, I would love to uh, give our website at stand-deliver.com. They can also subscribe to our other podcasts. How? On Apple, iTunes, and Google Play. And especially because they're going to love what they hear, they can give us a good rating. And most importantly, if they follow us on Facebook and Twitter and that's Steve Adubato, Ph.D. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, Ph.D. And on Twitter, it's Steve Adubato. They can just check out all the great things that you're up to. Thank you, Mary. This is Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. That's Brian Brodeur. This has been the Leadership Hour. Thanks for checking us out. See you next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Tracy Thompson, New Jersey's acting insurance fraud prosecutor. The state of New Jersey is making learning about and reporting insurance fraud easier than ever. At njinsurancefraud.org, you'll find tips on identifying insurance fraud and a simple, confidential form for reporting it. Report it, end it. Hi, I'm Rich Ribeiro. The Terrell Fund is committed to educating the public about the need to support New Jersey's infants and toddlers right from the start. That's why we're proud to support the important early childhood programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ. Holy Name Medical Center, this place is different. NJM Insurance Group, Wells Fargo, New Jersey Resources, the New Jersey Education Association, and by Summit Medical Group, a multi-specialty medical practice providing comprehensive care from birth and pediatrics to geriatric care concentrating in general wellness, cancer treatment, disease management, and behavioral health. Promotional support provided by NorthJersey.com and Local IQ, part of the USA Today Network, and by New Jersey Globe. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm very proud to be coming to you we are coming from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It's our pleasure to introduce Ginger Gold Schnitzer, who is um, executive director of the Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. Good to see her. Good to see you, Steve. I knew you when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it feels like that, right? Okay, so you, you've been with a, a couple of not-for-profits advocacy organizations, sure. right? 22 years at the NJA? 22 years. The New at the Jersey NJA. Education Association. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I'm curious about this. You make the transition mm -hmm. from lobbying yeah. and advocacy work for the New Jersey Education Association to a university setting. Yeah. Ivory Tower or grounded in reality? Grounded in reality. Break it down. Absolutely grounded in reality. Look, as I see it, our mission is to inspire the next generation of public servants, of policymakers and of just informed citizens, right? Our democracy is counting on it. I have spent 
the last 25 years in Trenton working in legislative advocacy. Education issues. Education issues, and before that, a whole bunch of other issues. Right. But the point being, Steve, is that what I come to realize is that, you know, when I graduated, I thought that if you read the bill, you knew what to do. And then I thought if you build the relationships, you'll impact public policy. And then I thought if you organize, you'll impact public policy. And then I thought if we elect our own members or you elect your own people, you'll impact public policy. But at the end of the day, we need to better prepare humans to impact public policy. Where do you go to prepare humans? A university. So let's play devil's advocate here. Um, you know politics well. You know policy well. It took you a few years to start understanding how... I hate saying this expression, how the sausage is made, but that is part of it. But at the Guarini Institute, named after, by the way, a former United States Congressman Frank Guarini, represented Hudson County, Jersey That's City right. area, just a class act. Um, and he was very much a part of the St. Peter's sure. uh, University community. I'm going to ask you this. You have said something that I like to say a lot. Uh, excuse me, democracy is not a spectator sport. What do you mean by that? I know what I mean. What do you mean, more importantly? I mean that... If we don't engage, if we don't know the issues, if we don't take the time to, um, to share our opinions with the people making the decisions, it's like writing a blank check for anything to happen. And so um, part of that mission is to, to study policy and what's going mm. on. Part of that mission is to figure out how to get it done, how it works and how to work it. But who? The devil's advocate question really comes down to citizens. Yeah. I mean, listen, we want citizens to be involved, but there are a whole bunch of folks watching saying, wait a minute, how am I supposed to be involved? That's why I elected him. That's why I elected her. That's yeah. what their job is. But that doesn't work. work. No. You know what? If public policy is how we make the rules for our society, okay. right? And who doesn't want to be at the table when the rules are being made? And there's lots of different ways you can take your seat at the table, right? Some people find it in elected office. You tried that for a while, right? But you found another Did seat at the table. Did you have to bring that up? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, we just know each other a long yes. time. That's right. You were a young lobbyist down there when I was in my first term in the legislature uh, in the mid-'80s. But the reality is I learned in that short period of time that you think you know how it works, but is, is it three-quarters of it relationships? So look, it's, it's real, a lot of it is about relationships, but you also have to understand the process. There's the process what the textbook says, and there's how it really works. And before people can engage in this effectively, we need to share with them how it re really works. What Policy about students, has a lot of constraints. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, go ahead. You, you said that students, you're trying to prepare students for what? I want to prepare students, if they're interested in a career in public policy, to pursue it. If they're interested to not have a career in public policy, I want them to understand that public policy, that policymaking, that laws and regulations and the implementation of them affect their daily lives. And it's their responsibility to know it and to do something about it. That may be putting people in mm. office who share their values. That may, so it could be as simple as voting and, and being an informed voter. That could be as complex as, you know, going to become the head of an agency or a department in state or mm. national government. In fact, there's a, uh, we're going to be, we're taping this on the 9th, right, Patty? The 9th of yeah. April. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this may be seen after, on the 24th of April at St. Peter's University at the, uh, Warini Institute, there is a policy forum, policy discussion called In the Weeds. This is about the legalization of marijuana? Absolutely. Why, why, why would you start with that as your first forum? Because it's the <clears throat> hottest issue in the legislature right now.
And it's an ideal place to discuss it on a college campus where we have many students that may be really interested in that, right? And so it's, if, if they're discussing it in Trenton, and if it's something that could happen in our state, and by the way, somewhat, over 80% of our students at St. Peter's are from New Jersey, then we should be talking about it. We should be getting their, um, their feedback, their buy-in, their excitement mm -hmm. uh, for one side of the issue or the other, uh, and, and try to show them that policy is really relevant mm -hmm. to them. And by the way, I don't want to limit what Gorini Institute will do to just our students at St. Peter's University. We're going to hold programs that are free and open to the public. It's part of our mandate. Even though it's university, it's not just for students. It's not just for students. I'm going to expand the conversation. There's a good chance we're going to use this conversation for um, our think tank. Check out our website. We have a new series called Think Tank. There's a podcast that goes Great. with it. And when then we discuss some things that have national implications, uh, we include it. And I'll tell you why I'm asking this. I'm obsessed by, hopefully in a healthy way, <laughs> The tone and tenor, the negative, nasty, ugly tone and tenor of political discourse in our nation, are you? I am. And that's what I, one of the things I said when I said we need, to, we need to find a place to create better humans or better prepare humans for this work. Better preparing humans for this work might entail how do we get this done without some of that? Could you, you see what goes on in Washington every day. We see Trenton's not as bad. Trenton's not as bad. But let's do Washington for a second. Sure. The name calling, the pettiness, the I'm not going to have you get, you're not getting that gateway tunnel until I get my wall. And it's not just about Donald Trump. Democrats are just as guilty as anyone else. Are you, you're an optimist by nature, but do you see the leadership into, because you have a, a leadership, an institute about government and leadership, do you see the political leadership to do that in Washington right now? Look, I think that. Political leadership, no matter where you are in your leadership, you have potential. And I believe with the right civic engagement and pressure on our leaders, when we reject that as an appropriate discourse, then we do have the power to change it. You mean it. that people need to demand better from those yes. in leadership positions? And people need to not respond to negative stuff. Because some people say, I like that. I right. like when people are... Um, say what they think, but hold on, but what about if they think, is you're calling someone a name? What does right. that have to do with policy? Or worse, if you're making somebody in this country feel marginalized by their race or their religion or, right? Yeah, by the way, I'm curious about this. Future forms that the Guarini Institute are going to have. I know there's one you're going to do on health care, another one economic development, budget and taxes. Immigration in the mix or no? Sure. Uh, our students are very, very interested. Diverse, sorry for interrupting. A very diverse population. Yes. And, and, and frankly, I've been going to political science classes in the last week and talking about the Guarini Institute. And uh, I always ask students when I go there, I say, tell me what you're passionate about. And immigration's come up a lot. Um, and then I ask them this follow-up question is, OK, you told me what you're passionate about. Now, what are you doing about it? And what do they want to see done? Right. Well, I want to know what they're doing about it. Because the Guarini Institute, I like to think that we're going to be about putting your passion into action. As opposed to like we just talked about it? That's not enough that we talk? Look, talking is a very important part. Right? Conversations we, there's, uh, you always hear around election time that there's no, nothing more influential than the conversations we have around the dinner table. So let's raise the quality of those conversations. That's right. And if it doesn't start there, then why would we expect it to start in Trenton or Washington or anywhere else? Um, Ginger Gold Schnitzer is executive director of the Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. They are, in fact, one of the uh, supporters of what we do here at the Caucus Educational Corporation. We wish you not, nothing but the best. 22 years at the NJEA, now switching over to higher ed. We wish you all the best. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Thanks, Thanks for Stay having right me. there. I'm Steve Arabato. This is State of Affairs, and we will be right back. 
To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome Peter Chen, policy counsel for an organization called Advocates for Children of New Jersey, advocating for the children of New Jersey every day. This is part of our ongoing conversation, part of our series uh, called Right from the Start, NJ, zero to three, um, prenatal care as well. Peter, we work with your organization on a lot of issues, try to understand the impact, particularly for poor children or children in, in inner city disadvantaged areas. You've said that the 2010 census that the federal government runs has undercounted, misrepresented the number of children in inner city areas, Newark, Jersey City, other places, and it's devastating. Talk about it. So the census determines funding for a wide range of federal funding. That's right. Um, but many state programs also are based on census counts. So the federal count of the total number of residents in different areas determines funding for things like schools, Head Start, uh, child care, health care, uh, Medicaid. So huge programs and basically every federal program that you can think of that benefits low-income children and families depends on census counts uh, in order to determine the funding. And when children are not counted, as happened in 2010, the amount of funding is lower than it needs to be for the total population that Peter there Chen, is. Peter Chen, why weren't these children counted? Well, many children live in what are called hard-to-count areas, um, areas where it might be harder to count people because it's a low-income area, um, people uh, may not speak English, or simply because uh, there are multiple residences in one location. So if it's a rental property, if it's apartment building, or if there are multiple rental units all in the same house. Uh, those may be areas where the mailer that goes out might not be counted. Um, but one of the big factors for why children are undercounted, and particularly very young children, is because the family or the householder omits them from the form. Okay? They just leave them off right. the form. And it's not because necessarily they don't know that the child lives there, but that children may not be included for, they may not be considered a person that needs to be counted on the census. But that's and a mis misconception of absolutely. how the census works. And why is it disproportionately in urban areas like Jersey City and Newark? Well, so there are a few factors that have been shown to be linked with uh, leaving kids off the census. Um, those are living in a racial or ethnic minority household, um, living in a house of uh, the household where no adult speaks English very well, um, living in a household that has a grandparent householder, or living in a household where there are unrelated people living in the home. So you might have two families that are unrelated that live together in one address. And in that case, what might happen is one family might fill it out, and the other family might not be included when mm. that person fills it out and might not know that they were supposed to be included. But Peter, this also, by the way, speaking of Peter Chen from uh, Advocates for Children of New Jersey, you're going to see our website from right from the start. And Jay, check it out and all kinds of important information. It's been two years we've been doing this initiative. and. And I, when we started it, frankly, Peter and everyone listening and watching right now, we had no idea how many challenges that infants and toddlers have and those who care for them have. In this regard, I'm curious about something. What does, what does this have to do with political representation, the undercount of the census in 2010? So 
there are two pieces in the upcoming 2020 census that are going to be really important for New Jersey for political representation. The first is that the total number of residents in the state determines how many congressional representatives New Jersey has. We have lost seats. We have lost seats. In 1990 and in 2010, we lost uh, a congressional seat. Um, and so that means less voice in D.C. It also means less voice in the Electoral College we had for presidential elections. We have 13? We have 12 now. 12. We had 14. Yes. And each time you lose a certain amount of people compared to the rest of the nation, the static number in the House of Representatives must remain at 435 members. So if Texas, right. if California, if New Mexico, if those other states gain more in the census, they get more political representation. New Jersey loses congressional representation. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah. And I, the only thing I would Because the number of 435 doesn't change. Right. The only thing I would clarify is that New Jersey doesn't even have to lose population. It's only that New Jersey has to grow slower than the other states. So the population of the nation is growing. If we have less of a percentage of the people in our state compared to the rest of the nation, we That's lose. Right. That's right. And what does that have to do with kids? So um, obviously children depend on their elected representative. Uh, people, <laughs> kids depend on their elected representatives. Those who are supposed to care about them. That's right. In, to, in political office. That's right. And so we see in... Um, when, uh, when congressional representatives are going, out, going up to bat for kids for Medicaid funding, for CHIP funding, for school funding. CHIP is? The Children's Health Insurance Program. Right, right. Um, they, uh, we need more of them in order to go to bat for kids' programs. And the other piece that's going to be really important is redistricting. Um, we hear a lot about gerrymandering or the borders of political districts, and that's all based on census counts. Wow. Um, and so if, an, if particularly low-income areas have undercounted populations, that means they get less representation in New Jersey's state house as well, not just at the federal Before level. I let you go, Peter, the good minute left, the issue of planning. What does the undercount in the census of children have to do with planning? Planning what? So if a hospital is thinking about where they're going to build a new branch, or a school okay. district is trying to determine if they're going to expand to a new location, or if um, the planning board is trying to figure out what road is going to be put down to a new subdivision, census counts all go into the calculations of where that's going. So whether it's a business, whether it's government, those, uh, those plans all depend on the number of people that are there. So real quick, before I let you go, the advice for everyone watching right now in terms of being a part of this two, two, 2020 census in a meaningful way. So the biggest thing is to just get educated about the census. Um, the state of New Jersey has a census website. ACNJ is putting together a census website. And the Advocates Census Bureau. Advocates children of New Jersey, your, your site has been up. So if they go to your site, what do they find out about the census? So there's a whole list of different resources that are available, both sort of like a census 101, as well as PowerPoint presentations, PDFs, all kinds of information for people to use on why the census is so important for kids. Peter Chen. Policy Council Advocates for Children of New Jersey. This is part of our Right from the Start NJ initiative. Peter, and thank you for joining us. Well done. Great. Thanks, Stay right Steve. There. This is Steve Adubato. This is State of Affairs. This is the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Newark. We'll be right back after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs welcomes Stephanie Hunsinger, who is State Director AARP, which stands for? 
Uh, well, it used to stand for the American Association of Retired People. After but the rebranding. It's just AARP. I love it. People know what it is. Yeah. Listen, I got the... I got you a got certain, your card? No, thank you very much. Yeah. Don't you should be proud. I, yeah, well, half. So, um, <laughs> but I'm proud of what you, the work you and your organization yes. do. Yes. Let's do this. Let's jump into a few issues. Um, the population you represent, talk about them. Uh, so we represent the 50-plus uh, across the country, just over 38 million members across the United States. In New Jersey, we have 1.3 million members. But mm. as our motto says, what we do, we do for all. So we really represent the entire 50-plus population. But we also know that what we're doing for the 50-plus today is beneficial and will affect generations to come. So we, sure. uh, we really do believe that what we do is for all. Let's break down some issues. <clears throat> you and I were talking about right before we got on the air. If the Affordable Care Act is, in fact, repealed, mm. I mean, listen, there have been so many attempts. If it were to happen, Obamacare, mm. what do you think it would mean for the population you represent, your members? It would be terrible for the population that we represent. You know, uh, ARP supports the critical aspects of the Affordable Care Act that are really important health priorities for Americans that are 50 plus. So things like <clears throat> providing access to affordable quality coverage, uh, discrimination based on age and pre-existing conditions, uh, that's a huge issue for our members. You know, as individuals get older, uh, they could be charged more. Uh, the provisions in the ACA, right. yeah. So right now there's a rate of about one to three. Uh, and as you age, you can be charged higher. As you get older, you may have more illnesses, chronic illnesses. So insurance companies are higher risk. So they'll charge more for an aging population. ACA keeps that at a, at a reasonable level. Without the provisions through the ACA, that can change. But Stephanie, the governor, Governor Murphy, is saying in New Jersey, hey, listen, we'll take care of it. We'll set up our own exchange. We'll be good, you say. So New Jersey has some really great laws currently that protect individuals from age discrimination, pre-existing condition um, clauses, uh, providing affordable coverage. Is uh, it enough? It's enough for if individuals it, if it were to be, have, Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. If the ACA were to be repealed. Is what New Jersey doing enough? Uh, a lot of what New Jersey has in place uh, is covered through the ACA. Could we do more? I'm sure we could. We always could do better um, in really providing affordable access to individuals. Uh, more importantly, how can we work to lower prescription costs? Yeah, can we talk about that? How yeah. bad is, how serious a problem it, is prescription drug costs for your members? It's a problem. Uh, on average, individuals who are on Medicare over the age of 65 take around four and a half different medications on a monthly basis. Um, they are extraordinary expensive. Yes. People are in positions where they're choosing between taking the medication that they need to stay healthy and buying their groceries or paying their electric bill mm -hmm. or paying rent or mortgage. No one should ever be in that position. Our costs are exorbitant. Uh, and we need to do something to change that. We need to do that. Congress needs to do something to change that. Who's leader on this? I heard Senator Booker and Senator Menendez talking about it. Are yeah. they leaders in this effort? They're champions on this, and we'll continue to work with them and, and trying to get them to push this and, and do everything that they can to help lowering the cost. You think for the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, as a group, mm -hmm. are listening and understanding how serious this problem is for those who are 50-plus? I think they're listening. I'm not sure if they're understanding it. So our job is to make sure that we keep getting that message out there and making sure that everybody understands that, not just Congress, not just constituents, but the pharmaceutical companies as well. And we're not asking them to change the work that we're doing, not asking them to decrease research. Mm. What we're asking them to do is think about where they're spending their money and pass some cost savings mm. on to consumers. Americans pay more for the prescription drug coverage um, and costs than 
pretty much any other European country does. And that's a problem. We're number one, and that's not good. It's not good. Can we talk about this initiative? I'm curious about this. The New Jersey Secure Choice Savings Program yeah. passed uh, March 28, 2019. What is it? Yeah. So it is a private-public um, partnership where it provides a vehicle for individuals. 53% of New Jersey residents had no way to save for retirement through their employer. And so this sets up a private-public partnership where workers who didn't have access to saving for retirement now can. Uh, it is a auto uh, deduction. So instead what of opting... Mean? So instead, normally, you would opt, out, opt in to a 401k okay. at your employer. This is an automatic, so you have to opt out of participating. So when you start working for that employer and you sign up to be a part of this program, you will automatically have a percentage of your salary that will be put into mm. a savings retirement plan for you. You know, some of us are obsessed by trying to save for our kids to go mm -hmm. to school. Yeah. yeah. Hard to do. But what about the whole question of saving for retirement? Yeah, so, you know, right now, on average, uh, people, the average American has about $14,500 saved for retirement. $14,500. That's, That's the average. Um, in New Jersey, the average Social Security check that residents receive is around $19,000. So people are relying solely on Social Security. Oh, $19,000? $19,000 a year. A year they're getting, $19,000 a year. And people are relying solely on their Social Security as their retirement, and that is not what Social Security so was meant to be. what do you say to, to your members? What do you say to them? What's the message to your members about this? Because uh, the they're trying to get through every month. Yeah. But they've got to think about the future. So, Assemblyman Freeman was a sponsor of this legislation, and, and recently at the bill signing, he made this analogy, and I thought it was such a great analogy. Um, he said he remembered when he was a kid, his dad would come home and he'd have change in his pocket, and he would take his change out and he would put it in like a jar and sure. a, a bucket in their house. You know, after a while, that little bit of change, you don't even realize it's missing. But after a while, it all adds up. And this is what the Secure Choice Savings Program is about. It's about taking a little bit now and putting it away without even realizing that it's gone. And then in time, that adds up so mm. that you end up being in a position where you can live comfortably in retirement. You can stay in your home and in your mm. community and with your family where you want to be and not be in a position where you're forced to have to relocate because you can't afford to stay where you are. Uh, before I let you go, this is Stephanie Hunsinger, who is state director of uh, AARP, New Jersey. Social Security. Mm. How secure? Um, you know, I think that we are it's going to be a fight, and we're going to continue to have to fight to protect Social Security. Uh, you know, it may not be the only means of savings, but it is an important means of savings for, as I just said, many Americans who are relying solely on that for their retirement. We have to do everything we can to protect that and make sure that it's there. They've been working for years and paying into the system with the idea that it's going to be there for them when they need it, and we need to ensure that it is. And anyone says we need to balance the budget by making some cuts in Social Security, raising this age that you yeah. say... I say no. Uh, you know, making cuts to, to those changes ends up not only hurting the individual, but it, it hurts us as a country as well. It ends up costing more money in the long run. Uh, it's the same thing with the ACA. When you provide, it, when you provide individuals with uh, assistance mm. that they need, Social Security, uh, adequate affordable health coverage, you don't have individuals who are running to the emergency room. You don't have individuals that are, are coming to the, to the government to ask for assistance. Stephanie, it's the first time you join us. Don't let it be the last. I hope not. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm Steve Adubato. Thanks for watching this edition of State of Affairs. So let's continue the conversation. Let's so follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Promise I'll see you next time. Take care. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. 
celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ. Holy Name Medical Center, this place is different. NJM Insurance Group. Wells Fargo. New Jersey Resources. The New Jersey Education Association. And by Summit Medical Group. Holy Day Medical Center is leading the statewide effort to improve end-of-life care through the use of advanced directives, recognizing a person's wishes on how they want to spend their last chapter of life isn't about death, it's about living. Our goal is to help all patients maximize their quality of life in their final months, weeks, days, and hours.